The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. People are attacking him, but the Lord will be his defender against them. And he's also David's glory. That is the thing about David that is most glorious. At the time, running out of the city, fleeing for his life, he doesn't look very magnificent. He doesn't look much like a king. Looks rather contemptible, actually. People are jeering at him. But he knew that the Lord had not rejected him, but was still with him. He was still the anointed of the Lord. God's hand was still on him, and that made all of the difference. He was his chosen son. God was his glory and the lifter up of his head. Imagine this physically. It's as if you think of a child who's in trouble or been discouraged or shamed in some way and his head's down and then someone comes along and lifts his head up, restoring the fellowship. God was going to do that to David. And David knew that. He is the lifter of my head. And verse 4, he's the one who answers prayers for help. So David cried out to him. He sits enthroned in Zion. Surely this is a reference to literal Mount Zion in Jerusalem where the temple is. It's where God's unique dwelling was. Everybody knew that the Lord who made all of the heavens and the earth is not going to be contained in one little room, in one little building, in one little city. However, he had uniquely chosen to make himself present there, known there. And so to be near that was to be nearer to God in some ways. It was a blessing. And now David's being driven away from that. Has God rejected him in driving away? Will God even be able to hear him? Yes. He calls to him and God answers him from that location even though he's not there anymore. God is still with him, still hears. And so, David's response in verses 5 and 6 is one of internal peace and rest. Men stood guard around the camp, yes, but as the situation was proving, men can be treacherous. Men can fail, they're feeble. But the Lord is his defender and his shield all around. He hears prayers and he sustains David so, look at the text, it says, so I can sleep and lie down and rest and wake again for you sustain me. David does not know how this is all going to end up. However, he does know that salvation, physical salvation, spiritual salvation, rests in the hands of the Lord. That the Lord is sovereign and supreme over all things and that he alone will decide how and when David is delivered. He knows that it rests in God's hands to decide these things. And so he trusts him and he goes to sleep while all around the enemies encircle him. That's the text. It's the basic details of this. It's a very concrete situation in David's life. We can put our finger on when it actually was going on. And that sort of thing is never exactly going to happen to you and me. That particular situation is never going to happen to us. However, it's still here in the Bible to speak to us, to teach us, to encourage us. What does it have to say? I'm going to approach this through three main interconnected points. The last one's pretty short, but important. Spend most of our time in the first two. I think what he's teaching us centers around, in particular, first point here, 
in the center of the psalm, in the center of David's existence, verses 5 and 6, here's the first main point. Anxiety-free living is available even amidst the most trying of life circumstances. Anxiety-free living. This is a message of hope here. Think about this. A life free from being trapped in stress and worry, from being controlled by all that, a life free from that is available, come what may in life. Despite all of the worst possible circumstances, it is possible to live anxiety-free. That is remarkable. As I have thought about that this week, it has gotten my attention because I so very often live right here in this anxiety. I probably don't look like that from the outside because I'm a relatively low-key person. But inside there is often turmoil. I call it kind of a, a, a low burn if you will. I'm constantly thinking three, five, eight steps down the road, not because I'm wise, but because I'm worried. How can I cover that circumstance? That's how I live. And as I think about anxiety-free living, it gets my attention. I'm there. I think you probably are too. I don't know, maybe not right now at this moment, but I am confident that you in your life are no stranger to the concepts the ideas of the emotions of worry and fear and anxiety. You live there too. I know you do. You're human. You're just like me. The Bible, in fact, promises us that in this life you will have trouble. It doesn't promise us that in this life you will have anxiety, but it says in this life you will have trouble. And what happens in the types of human hearts that we have, trouble is very often immediately connected to worry. That's who we are. That's what happens in us. We've never faced exactly King David-type trouble. I've never been the ruler of a country deposed. Nobody's ever tried to assassinate me. But I have known some of the things that he has known. Think about what happened in his life the moment he found out about the rebellion. Immediately his life was threatened. As well as the life of everybody in his household. The custom of the day was when somebody overthrew a king, they slaughtered every single possible rival heir little children included, wives included, because who knows, they may be pregnant with an heir. Kill them all. That was the custom. And so David, from the moment he finds out there's a rebellion, my life is in danger and everybody I care about, their life is in danger as well. Death is stalking him and his family. So to try to escape it, he flees. He runs, which invites poverty and physical hardship. Maybe the sword wouldn't kill him. Maybe he'd be able to avoid that. But what about hunger and thirst in the wilderness? What about disease and physical hardship? You know, he's not a young man anymore. There are other people in his household who might be vulnerable to these things. Will they be able to endure? Will they be okay on the run, living off the land in the desert? And the whole situation is utterly humiliating. He's the king. You can picture somebody wearing their royal robe and their crown, gathered up, running. It's ridiculous. Peasants along the side of the road are scoffing at him and insulting and throwing dirt clods at the king. His son is hunting him for his life. There's no prestige here anymore. There's no royal pomp. 
It's utterly humiliating. David feared for his life and for the life of his family. Feared for his his and their physical well-being and their safety. He faced humiliating shame. And at this moment when he found out about it, there was nothing he could do about it. He faced all kinds of options. He had to make decisions. And none of them controlled his own destiny. Should I flee to the north or to the south? I have no idea. Who should I take? Who should I leave? I don't know. I don't know if any of these people are going to betray me. None of this is in his hands. He is helpless. Life is out of his control and life is very dangerous for him. I know some of those fears. Not all of them. I'm a young man. I probably know less of them than some others here. But you know some of those fears yourself. I'm confident. The time comes when we each look at life and we see it. These threats and these troubles right here in living color. They're right in front of us. Never fled from revolt, but has your life ever been in danger? Life of your children? Some of us right now face life-threatening diseases. Some of us have kids or relatives who face life-threatening diseases right now. Some of us may face life-threatening diseases and not know it yet. Some of us may find out that our near future includes a car accident or some other type of tragedy where life will be shown to be just as tenuous as it actually is. We face the trouble of our lives being threatened. Maybe it's your physical or material well-being that's threatened. Maybe trouble has arisen in that quarter. Think perhaps about your work or, or loss of work or loss of your spouse's work. Maybe something in that realm threatens your your physical, your material well-being here. Or maybe it is that if you don't effectively keep juggling all ten balls that you have in the air right now, if you fail at that and some of them fall to the ground, then your life, your material well-being will be threatened. Your job will be in jeopardy. So you keep running frantic and worried that you might have missed something. What about your children? If they're not outright rebellious, do you look at your kids and you see that they're not in right relationship with the rest of the world, with you, with the Lord? There is little that is less grievous, little that is more grievous to a parent than to look at their kids and realize they're starting to walk the wrong paths. And I can't seem to change it. Maybe just that can't seem to change it part is the problem itself. Helplessness. You look at all these troubles and yeah, you see them and you can evaluate them, but you can't do anything about them. You you seem to just watch them grow and grow and become bigger and bigger. Maybe that itself is a trouble. I'm, I'm not really sure what it is in your life. You fill in the blank there, but some of these troubles sit in your life. I'm sure they do. Some of them sit in my life. These are the common troubles, the enemies that we face, the very same types of things that David faced. They're not human beings hunting us with a sword, but they're very similar. And the natural human emotional response to all of this, once you've realized that you're threatened and in danger in some way or another, and that you can't stop it, you can't fix it, you can't control it, or at least you're not sure that you can yet, the natural human response is anxiety. And fear and worry. The tightening in your chest 
the shortening of breath long term. It's that constant thinking and planning and worrying. Keep trying to push these things away, but they keep coming back. It's in there in you. I don't know exactly what it is, which trigger, which button needs to be pushed, but it's there if you look. Anxiety over money or anxiety over health and life, over marriage and family and relationships. Anxiety, ironically. Anxiety about doing a good job preaching a sermon about anxiety. I'll own that one. And David looks at thousands of people set all around him. He sees the threat to his life and his welfare and his family and his prestige, and he flees from it to buy himself a little bit of time. But in the midst of the chaos, amazingly, right there in the middle of his experience, verses 5 and 6, he lies down and sleeps without any fear. He lies down and he goes to sleep unafraid. The context makes clear this is not a fitful sleep of worry. It's in contrast, but it's in contrast to the enemies and it is without fear. It's rest. Rest of body and rest of soul. It's not a rest that denies reality or is ignorant of it, or only knows of these things in the theoretical realm, anybody can rest in those circumstances, oblivious or in denial. David is well aware of verses 1 and 2 in the last part of verse 6. That's really clear to him. There are enemies all around. He knows that. But despite this, in the midst of this reality, he finds anxiety-free life. He is not afraid. He finds the kind of rest that we all need and want. We don't want rest and lack of fear and anxiety that is dependent on the circumstances improving or things being better than they actually seem to be because we all know that some things will not improve and some things are actually worse than they seem to be. That's no help to us. We don't want an end to anxiety that is dependent on the end of troubles. That's never going to happen. What we want and what we need is the blessed life. The life of happiness in heart, joy, peace, contentedness. Despite what's happening all around, that's what we need and want. The life free from fear and anxiety and worry. Joy. That's what David found. He laid his head down on the cloak clumped up on a rock and went to sleep while the enemies are all around him. He found that life and you can too. It is available to you. Do you want it? Stop and think about that for a second. Do you want it? It might seem like an obvious question, but the reason I want to stop here is, and please I hope I don't communicate the wrong thing with my tone here. I'm not trying to punish you for this in any sense, but the reality is our church is on the east bench of the valley. A lot of us live over here. Not everybody, but a lot of us live over here. And generally what that means is that comparatively we are relatively healthy, wealthy, and wise. And healthy, wealthy, and wise people have often succeeded in insulating themselves 
from a lot of these troubles that I'm trying to talk about here. And this can very easily become a theoretical thing. Maybe when I get older, I'll start to face some of that. Or it's good to know that so that I can pass it on to somebody else who actually does have trouble in life, but my life works out pretty well right now. Things are kind of going like they're supposed to go. If it never gets beyond that, then the point, the next point where he says where the life is found will also remain just a theoretical. Something that I could do if I needed it, but I really don't. Maybe I'll remember this to pass on to somebody else who does. Do you see that these troubles are yours? Maybe not today, but perhaps tomorrow. I think today, too, they are for me. But your life is, is here. It is in this passage. Life is hard. Sometimes life is good, too. There are beautiful things here. But it's not all the better roses. Do you want this life? You can find it. It's available. That's the second point. Let me summarize the second point. Anxiety is eliminated as we take refuge in the Lord. This makes some sense, but if you don't actually sense a need for the first point, then the pursuing of refuge in the Lord won't actually happen in your life. You'll put it on the shelf and remember, that's what you need to do when I actually need that. You need it right now. I need it right now. We need to pursue refuge in the Lord now, today. And when we do, anxiety flees away. The temptation for us in life, given that we're fallen people, the temptation for us is to see troubles or challenges, to look at issues in our life or in our work, and to immediately, whatever it is, to immediately turn to our own methods of dealing with it. We try to fix it. We take it into our own hands and work on the problem right away. Or maybe we try to deny it, say it's not a problem at all. Or, or to move the goalposts and say, okay, I'm going to lose my job. I didn't like that job anyway. That's, that's no problem. I don't, I'm not really worried about it because it's not a threat anymore. None of those things, none of those methods work. They all eventually fail because some things do matter. We've already discussed some things matter in life. Some things are important and plenty of things we can't actually fix. We turn to our own methods to try to, to try to massage things and make them work out. It's a poor, a poor substitute. It doesn't work. And get this clearly, it is sin. It's sin to turn to our own methods. This is the fundamental way of human beings. We turn to ourselves, we take troubles and problems, we take them on and we attempt to work them to make all of life work out apart from God. As if we people are the final causes and the determining factors of how things should be and how things should work. Now, I'm not saying that we should be passive and that we shouldn't do anything. I'm talking about what we trust in. We are to be active. The issue is what we trust in, what's natural for us. 
I look, I look at my own life and this happens without even thinking about it. I'll be at a staff meeting or an elder meeting and we'll be in a time of prayer and we'll be lifting up the church and, and all various issues to the Lord and then we'll close and then we'll move on to the first business item and it's as if I forgot what I was just doing and now I'm running it through my human grid of what should I do? How can we work this? Who should we talk to first? Who, who might be able to... Very rarely do I actually say, whoa, I need to stop and take this to the Lord and say, Lord, what should we do? Your will be done here. Use me as you will. Show me. Point me in the right direction. If I get there, if you get there in situations like that, it's usually after everything else has been tried and failed and we're at our wits' ends. That's often how we work. It's natural in us. We are bent towards ourselves. Turning to our own methods doesn't work, and it's sin, and ironically, it doesn't eliminate anxiety, it fuels it. Think about what anxiety actually is, or fear, or worry, or wh whichever word best connects with you. Anxiety is noticing something inside of you, noticing that there's a problem here, noticing the severity of the problem, and doing an assessment of the severity of the problem with your own capabilities and deciding, I might not have what it takes. I might not be able to handle this. Uh-oh. You see, that's what anxiety is, is a problem that I don't know if I can handle. I had a teacher once who was giving an exam to a class, and the class was, we were all nervous about this exam. It's a big test. We're all filing in. Why are we nervous? Because we know there are a whole bunch of things that this guy could ask. And we don't know everything. We know some things, but we don't know what he's going to put on this paper. And we don't know if we'll be able to, be, to handle this. We don't know if we'll be up to the task. So we're nervous about it. And one of the students says to the teacher, is the exam hard? And he says, not for me. <laughs> I, know what, I know everything on this test. I didn't have to study to write it. If I had to take it, I'd just sit down and do it. I know all the questions, and I know all the answers. We don't. We don't know what's out there, and we don't know if we can handle it, so we worry about it. There is one person. One. In all of the universe who knows all the questions and all the challenges and all the trials in all of their detail. And he possesses all the answers and has the power to fix, change, deliver, and save. And he is motivated to do so for his children, for those that he loves. Anxiety is eliminated when we seek refuge not in our own failing and feeble capabilities. Anxiety is eliminated as we seek refuge in that one who knows all and can do all and will do good to us. He has sworn to never leave you or to forsake you, his child. Cry out to him. He is the sovereign Lord. Salvation rests in His hands. It is in His power. 
He looks down from his heavenly temple, not the the literal Mount Zion, but his spiritual Mount Zion. He looks and he hears and he sees all the details and he is sworn to never leave you. Call to him. He will be a shield all around you. He will be your covering against swords that attack and arrows that come from your foes. He'll cover your front and your behind. He'll protect your sides and your insides. Most importantly, your insides, your heart. Your own power and strength will prove to be a flawed and failing defense. It won't deliver you. Don't trust in it. Trust in Him. He is your cover and He will be your strong defender and your glory. Put away all boasting in the trappings of worldly prestige. Don't fasten your hearts to these things. Stop leaning on the proud things of humanity. On what your body looks like or what it can do. On what your money can obtain for you. Don't lean on your intellectual prowess. Don't glory in these things. They may all be stripped away. But He will remain the only thing about you that is truly marvelous and truly praiseworthy. The glory of the child of God is God Himself, wrapped all around us like a garment, worn on our head like a helmet. Oh, that the thing that we most valued about ourselves and the thing that we most praised in each other was the Lord in us and around us and over us. The thing that we most value and the thing we need never fear losing. God Himself, our glory. And the lifter up of my head. Picture yourself as that child downcast, facing hardships in life, maybe shamed, and he's the parent who lifts up your head and looks you right in the eye and restores fellowship with you. He blesses you with this kind of eye-to-eye intimacy with himself. Call to him. This is the Lord, your sovereign Savior. He will answer and he will defend and he will deliver you. Perhaps he will deliver you physically. Perhaps. Maybe the disease that threatens you will be cured. Your health will return. Maybe the financial crisis that you're looking at, maybe that will be met with a new job or a promotion or just a gift of money coming from somewhere. That may happen. Physically, he may deliver you, perhaps. But that is not promised to us. Notice, the particular blessing that David receives here is internal health, heart, soul. Heart and soul peace. The blessed life. He lies down to rest without fear and anxiety, but with all of the enemies still around him. They have not been chased away. As you read this in 2 Samuel, you realize that David does not know how this is all going to turn out. He's not certain that the Lord is going to restore him to the kingdom, restore the kingdom to him. He doesn't know, but he does know that the Lord is sovereign and that salvation rests in his hands. And if he chooses to deliver him physically or spiritually, He has the power to do that, and he will do it, because he is the sovereign one, and he is also David's dearest friend. He knows that about him. He will do good to him. 
deliverance of some sort will come. Maybe physically, deliverance from trouble, or perhaps deliverance through trouble. Deliverance through trouble onto another goal, beyond the trouble. Maybe that's what he's going to do. After all, the Lord's chief goal in each of our lives is not that we live pain-free. His chief goal is that we, by faith, come to know him more and more intimately and experience him in his glory. That's what honors him. And it's what we most need. It's to our greatest good. We've talked about this a lot before. You remember we looked at this and saw much New Testament evidence that God actually uses and brings trials into our lives to refine and grow our faith, which is of greater worth than gold. His goal in us is to grow that faith because the faith in us is what binds us to Him. Through all kinds of stuff in trials, trials in life, it binds us to Him and we experience more and more of him as we trust him more. So he's trying to grow faith in us. He will deliver us some way or another. Maybe it'll be physically, it will certainly be spiritually. He will uphold your heart. He'll keep you from being tempted beyond what you can stand. He'll bind you to himself more and more. Spiritual growth is what he is after, and it's what he uses trials for in us. We've talked about that before. David learns more of God in his trial. He rests on him and finds him to be a sustainer, even amidst this kind of a revolt. You can find that too, amidst your trials. Getting this kind of perspective drives away anxiety. We seek shelter in him. We seek refuge in him. We entrust our lives to him. We put everything about us at his feet. And worry leaves. He's sovereign. He can handle it. And he will do good to you. That's what Psalm 3 is pointing us towards. It's also what Paul, in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, is pointing us towards. Think about that passage for a moment. Probably a familiar one says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near and his coming is near. He's here now. He's at hand. So do not be anxious about anything, a command. But in everything, by prayer and petition, do what? Present your requests to God. Take all of life, every, all the troubles, everything that is threatening you, and take it to the Lord who is near. Put it at his feet. This is a command. But it's not a, you know, a suck it up and be brave type of command. It's a command that's rooted in something else. It's rooted in who God is. He's trying to get us to think. The Lord is right here. He is near to you. So think about this. Take all of life's troubles and give them to him. He's capable. He can handle it. And he is for you. He'll do good to you. And what results from that? How does the passage continue? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which is hard to understand, 
The peace of God that says, I look all around and I see the enemy circling my camp. But something inside of me is okay with that. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to pick up a sword and fight back. But it means that in here there is rest, not anxiety, not worry. My life is in his hands, and they are capable hands, and he is a good God. That's what David experienced. That's what we're supposed to experience. Bottom line, what you're saying when you go to God like this is essentially what David said in verse 5. I can sleep if and because the Lord sustains me. So God, sustain me. Be what I need. You know best what I need. You please be what I need. Defend me in whatever way is best. Be the glory of my life. The thing that I most value and most revel in. Give grace to be that for me, Lord, because my heart wants to wander after other things. My heart wants to flee and take up my own methods. Sustain me, Lord. Give me faith to trust you. And if you do that, if you sustain me and you work that in my heart, I can rest. Anxiety will flee away from me. This does not make the tears go away. And it doesn't make anything simple. Don't hear me saying that. Don't, don't hear me saying that David is going to go about fighting these battles and whatnot with no concern whatsoever about the outcome of things. He's going to try. <laughs> That's clear. But there's something else, some nagging worry. It's not there anymore for him. It's the kind of life that we want. You can and by grace will know that life as you put your life in his hands. As you present all of these requests to him. You can and by grace will know more of him himself. He'll make himself known to you in all of his majesty. Anxiety Flees, anxiety disappears as we take refuge in the Lord. Third point I want to touch on. I'm going to do so much more briefly, but I need to make this explicit because up to this point, most of what I've said, lots of religious people could agree with. Makes sense. Big God, able to handle life, trust life to him. Makes sense to me. We're just, like, we're just alike here, aren't we? No, we're not. There's something different here, something unique here that I need to point out and make explicit. Let me summarize and then I'll try to explain. The final point here, it's more brief. The blessing, this blessing of anxiety-free life is available only to those who are in Christ. This kind of life that we've been talking about, that we all want, that we all need, is only available. It is uniquely available to those who are in Christ. Look at the very last phrase of the passage. Your blessing be on your people. The blessing here is available to somebody, his people. 
Who's that? Well, let's work towards that for a second here. There's only one person who has ever perfectly walked the earth anxiety-free. Only one. Only one who's ever lived perfectly free from self-reliance. Only one who has ever, who has never feared that his own resources would be lacking because he didn't trust his own resources. You know who I'm talking about. God come in the flesh. God the Son, Jesus. Ultimately, what Psalm 3 is pointing us towards, it's telling us how to live, yes, but it's pointing towards a person too, just like Psalm 2 was. Psalm 2 is talking about David, but it's talking about another David also, who is the Son. Psalm 3, talking about David, talking to us, his people, but talking about another David who perfectly lived this. There was another one whom the people rejected and chased out of the city, who fled across the brook and up the Mount of Olives, people hunting him for his life. But Jesus stopped there. He stopped and he fled no further. The people chased him down and would shortly cry out, crucify him, and he knew that. And though he agonized over what it meant for him, he willingly embraced it without fear. Like a sheep, silent before its shears. He went, he took the accusations, he took the beating, and he embraced the cross. He did something there. He perfectly lived this life of Psalm 3. Internal rest, trusting his whole life to the Lord, despite the circumstances around him, he did something there without sin that enabled him then to become sin for you. People of God, by faith. The only reason David can do this is because this son of David is David's Lord. This gets a little confusing here. In the Psalms, David will call his descendant his Lord. It blew people's minds in the day that that first became obvious. Jesus made this point clear. The son of David is David's Lord. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about me, he said. All of these things that are about David are about David and his sons and one son who was David's Lord. And because David's Lord walked this path and went to the cross, atoning for all the sins of his people, David included, David then can be included in this type of arrangement with God. God can be David's defender. God can be David's glory. God can be David's lifter up of his head. Because David's sin is covered. I know this, this can easily get confusing and I'm not giving it enough time to deal with it correctly. But salvation is happening at two levels here. The salvation that's in the hands of the Lord is happening at two levels First, it's salvation from sin that puts a person in Psalm 3 to start with. That puts a person in the people of God who may then experience the second type of salvation, the salvation from anxiety. 
me say that again because I'm getting a lot of looks that didn't make that clear. Salvation at two levels here. Christ first saves us from the penalty of sin that places us in a position to experience salvation from the, the consequences of sin. Anxiety, the earthly consequences. You have to get into the people of God before you can know the anxiety-free life. Jesus did this perfectly, without sin, went to the cross to provide a way for you to be forgiven of sin, to provide a way for you to have God as your defender and your deliverer. You have to come to Him by faith first and know that salvation. And then you can know, then you can seek refuge in Him day to day to day with all the troubles of life. Then you can do that to know this second kind of salvation, the salvation from anxiety. This is pointing towards Christ and what Christ's work did for you. The possibilities that it has opened up for you. The blessing that it purchased for you at the cross. You can be one of his people and you can know the anxiety-free life. Come to him by faith. Entrust yourself to him. It's the only thing left to do. Give your heart to him now. If you've never come to him and experienced that first salvation, give your heart to him and come to him by faith and you'll find the guilt of sin removed from you. And this wonderful thing of Psalm 3 opened up, then you will be able to experience anxiety-free life. Most of us have already crossed through that first salvation and are right here. The message to you is, Give your life to him again today. All of it, all of your troubles. Take them to him, put them at his feet. Experience the salvation from anxiety now. Those two things are open to us both in Christ. The anxiety-free life is available. It's available as we seek refuge in the Lord. And you can seek refuge in the Lord if you have been made one of his people by Christ's work. I could summarize all of this in one statement. Do not lean on your own capabilities, but cast all of your anxiety on the Lord because He cares for you. If you are in Christ, He cares for you. Cast all of your anxieties on Him and know the anxiety-free life he offers. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address 
is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.